Welcome to this 14th edition of Free Speak, a podcast of the Namibia Media Trust, where we discuss all things media. I'm your host, Gwen Lister. How are the media, both online and mainstream, covering issues relating to the COVID-19 pandemic? What news should be online and what not? And where can we find quality rather than quantity of information? Do newspapers, radio, and television have their fingers on the online pulse, or are they losing touch? These are just some of the issues I chat about today with Natasha Bailefeld, who's the MD of NAM Media, a Namibian company that monitors what's going on in our spectrum of media. Natasha, welcome, and thank you for coming. Thanks, Gwen. I'm happy to be here. It's fabulous seeing you. I've always been a fan, <laughs> and I love your guys' work. Thanks for having me. That's very kind. Thank you, Natasha. Natasha, maybe just to dive in, um, what really is media monitoring, for those who don't know, uh, in the context of what you do? I see from your website that you monitor mainly mainstream media, that is traditional media, for those who don't know, radio, television, and newspapers. Um, and presumably, you monitor the content for commercial clients. So in a sense, the only other monitoring outfit that I know of is Media Monitoring Africa, which is based in South Africa, and which adopts a more watchdog role. In other words, it's looking for fair media coverage and so on. But that's clearly not your main focus. So Give us a bit of an idea of what you do. Right. So I get this question a lot. And I think even friends and family, they're not always sure how to tackle this one. Uh, what we do is quite unique. The software and methodology was developed by academics and professors and uh, uh, businessmen and women across the globe. And for it to basically start contextualizing what is the content of our media, and not just in print, radio, and television, okay. but also 80 million plus online sources we expanded our uh, oh, monitoring into, well. and social media. Okay. So it's, it's, um, it's a vast spectrum of media, and you have to maintain that uh, sort of the objective input, like your editorial volume coverage. Uh, why? Because, you know, you have to measure apples with apples. So the editorial monitoring part of that is brought into context of what are the social and popular discussions about the, the editorial content. And it helps us to benchmark um, and to see what are the top communicating industries or companies or okay. political or economic uh, protagonists. So what's fabulous about having so much data is that you can base decision making on facts. Okay. And we build dashboards and it becomes a performance appraisal and you start seeing, well, am I as the government or as the office of the president being heard above the awareness threshold for what is relevant to my customer, which is my citizen, right. um, and that is a pro-change that we need or that we want to initiate and implement. So it's used as a listening tool to ensure that are we saying the right things, are we perceivably being heard, right. and are we being engaging and transparent and okay. being held accountable. That's fascinating. And also, Natasha, maybe just to turn to what is obviously the burning issue of the day, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, on Namibian media, do you think rising to the challenge of performing what is required, a vital public service at this time of both informing and educating the public, or could they be doing more? What, is your, what are your perceptions around that? Well, I 
always prefer to take sort of more of the positive stance in terms of what is being done well. And right. if we look at, uh, you know, the Namibian, uh, Namibian economist, your uh, NMH papers, uh, which now converted to video online and like TV costs on, on Facebook, um, their own um, taking up of responsibility on how to be a responsible citizen amongst amidst COVID, you know, going back to school campaigns, um, the content they're asking from from the corporates, because top of our agenda recall for NBC, but also uh, private media has been risk mitigation, um, sustainability management, right. uh, dealing with stakeholder, my employee first, and then, of course, the people that I serve, and then only the shareholders. Um, so I think the media has been, and the journalists that I admire, there are so many of them, have really taken up the challenge and made it a personal mission to educate our consumers. Right. And, you know, targeted can be youth, can be schools, which has been a big struggle, can be government and their behavior. Um, right. uh, yeah, so, you know, given the, the Namibian media landscape, the journalists that we have, the small community of support and peer networking and um, just word of mouth we have. I do think we've risen very quickly. You know, you're seeing um, the older generation. <laughs> I'm not a child anymore, but still. Um, you're young enough. Yeah. <laughs> but you see um, <clears throat> how people have been pushed out of their comfort zones. Right. So now I've got an editor hosting his own um, TV talk show, right. you know, tackling the agenda and what about that does our our readers need to know more about and what do they have exactly. to say about that? So right. I think everybody has like upped their game to bring others on board of the con onto this conversation and we're not just broadcasting or podcasting anymore, we're um, hoping to get feedback um, and exactly. people aren't, aren't scared of having that open conversation whereas I think in the past... Ten years ago, you know, having started with four print media. Right, it was very different. Very, very different. You know, it was like, I will speak to my subjects. Exactly. Um, but now we're all just a human and you have to be a good human. Exactly. And and roles have changed, as you say, in the context of, of the sort of tsunami, if you like, of digital media. And people Absolutely. are doing different things. I mean, even myself doing podcasts now. Um, I'm, I'm a print dinosaur, so even I have to <laughs> adapt or die. Definitely not a dinosaur. <laughs> but Natasha, based on what you've now said, um, all right, you reckon the media are doing a fair and reasonable job, especially around COVID, talking to people. But my question really is, are people listening? This is the issue. I mean, you look around and you see in this time that there's compulsory wearing of masks, for example, and you look at Namibians, and most of them aren't wearing them properly, or they're hanging around their chin, or even if you look at Parliament, for that example. So what do you think? Are we speaking into a vacuum on all these different fora, whether it's through print, whether it's through podcast, whether it's whatever? Are people listening? Do they want to listen? And that's the other thing. I'm thinking that it's part of sort of um, what we encourage or what we endorse, we encourage. And if we look at the just the history of um, our media, the way that um, your political, economic or corporate experts speak, uh, the way we engage at social events, mm -hmm. um, what is the norm? Right. A very relaxed norm if you compare that to other European countries. Certainly. So 
if we see leaders or those that we admire act a certain way, that is being encouraged in our own behavior and mimicked. Um, and the lack of change where it is needed, where it is seen, because that's why media help us to start building our perception of how we need to change and what is the new normal. So if we don't have a healthy picture, it's like raising a child with certain videos of um, a portrayal of the Bible or a portrayal of what it is to be a good child. But if we, we're not um, open and transparent in what is really actually be wrong and being addressed wrong or implemented wrong or not being implemented at all, then... The question isn't, are we getting through to the citizen? It is, have we been leading the citizen in the right way? Or have we been taking up the responsibility ourselves? And setting example, presumably. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like we, like I joked earlier, you know, it's not me versus my subjects. And what I do is fly, as Natasha. And what right. my colleagues at Namedia does is uh, completely different from my own behavior. Right. So I think in terms of re-educating the whole leadership versus civilization vibe of, you know, we're all part of one tribe. And um, your vibe has to be lacquer as well, not only the, the mm. tribe that you're surrounding yourself with. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to be very diplomatic, but in actual fact, I think yeah. we, we failed as being good examples. Right. Interesting, Natasha. The following on that, perhaps, I'd ask you, what's your take on where Namibians, particularly young Namibians, where are they at with regard media in general at the moment? Um, you've referred to it already. At one time, newspapers were the be-all and end-all of media. That's changed very dramatically. But what, in your view, nowadays is popular and what's not? And what's their go-to source for news and information yeah. right now about national issues? And how that contributes to disinformation, I would right. say. Right, exactly. So our mainstream media is still the agenda setters. They create the conversation. Right. They help set the agenda, what we have to direct focus to. Exactly. Our youngsters, you know, they are clever. They're smart. They are interested. They are proactive. Right. So what do they think is important or is top of discussion? Is it... COVID-19, is mm -hmm. it social ills, which uh, in our experience is completely under-addressed on um, public Absolutely. agendas? Absolutely. Uh, is it politics? Is it tribalism? Is it racism? But peer influence has become such a trusted partner. So the WhatsApp groups, your social media platforms, Facebook closed groups, you know, yes, there's, there's wonderful creativity in... Uh, uh, endorsing smaller groups and sets of opinions, but there's also the risk of disinformation and then get disconnect. If we look at the generational gaps of our leadership now, what we're faced with, you know, just uh, um, if I highlight one issue, the procurement, um, public procurement services, right. uh, we're probably being 20% uh, responsible, but and, and 10 years away from proper um, sort of changing the the skill set and upping the skill sets of what we need to be a effective public service. So our youth is talking to each other based on what they feel is relevant to share. It could be a Namibian tweet um, as a trusted source, could be the Namibian Economist or NMH papers, or could be the NBC, but there are various examples which just substantiates we always need to go check that source 
and we shouldn't be part of, of um, channeling discourse. So I think the youth finds value in peers and people that they trust, and media has become a person. It's become the uh, person I choose to identify with. So if we just look online, you know, the any uh, social media handle, the paper is basically becoming this um, journalist that we admire and that we trust. Um, and if I can substantiate that my information is coming from this trusted source, then I feel authentic and I feel I have the authority to share that with my peers. That's very interesting and also the fact that you've raised the word trust. And I know in my experience with talking to the youth, because I'm always fascinated where they're at, as I say, well, what I've now asked you, where are they getting their news and information and always, or generally speaking, the majority of them look to something like Facebook to a certain extent, Twitter and then WhatsApp, and you find that radio and print come down the bottom of the list as to the most popular. But when you ask them what is most trusted, then they turn back and they will say, no, we trust the print media most, and I think it was radio second. Definitely so radio. That's, that's interesting why there would be that dichotomy or almost, that they realize that on social media there's a lot of fake news. There's this example that is now flying around of this I think her name was Tracy Zilla in South Africa, who, who, who sort of took the Twitter world by storm, um, tweeting very controversial racial opinions and has now been outed as a member of the F uh, political party. And so, in fact, not a white person at all, but a black person, but at the same time, inflaming racial tensions. So again, you often wonder, are the youth circumspect enough to know that a lot of these accounts are there that they follow on Facebook or Twitter or elsewhere are in fact fake accounts designed really with their own agenda in mind of fueling racial unrest or whatever the the motive is behind it. Are they smart enough to be Good example, that? this morning I think it was uh, the New Era and they had a feature of um, a prominent business personality uh, that overcame depression. Right. And then the first comment on that was from um, a person saying, well, this woman um, is arrogant or something. I don't know. It was a horrible comment. Yeah. And then immediately somebody outed this person saying, just stop commenting from your fake account and get rid of it. Interesting. And I saw the only friend that this fake account had was the um, also the editor of the outlet, which was okay, that's a bit weird. Yes, but So I think um, we are quick because we are such a small community, as we right. discussed earlier. You know, our population of... 2.8 or 6.8 versus 53 or 54 million in South Africa. It's just a complete different mindset, you know. It's like growing up in a small town versus, you know, what you're exposed to in the city and, and the sort of the the stimulus and the input and wrong and right that you get from a bigger community. So I think we're um, vigilant um, and, you know, we can call a spade a spade because you know already, is it a Crazy Nels commenting on Twitter, or is, exactly. it, a, is it a Gwen Lister, is it a Donald Mateus, is it, um, is it the IPPR? So I think we ha do have a good sense, um, and the youth that are interested, that have been exposed to media literacy from right. a young age, of they picking are... picking up on the scams. Yeah, so okay. to speak. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Um, 
But if we go back to newspapers, just taking them as an example, they were always the most important medium in terms of agenda setting. They also provided, and maybe still do, the vital function of holding governments to account, analyzing, contextualizing the news of the day. And editorials were once essential reading, depending on which newspaper you followed. Do you think they still have the same clout and credibility today? Or to a large extent, has this been diminished by social media where young people are taking their cue from one another rather than from the old media, so to speak? I will always advocate for our um, print uh, old school media and their influence ultimately towards setting the agenda online. Okay. We have to uh, give value to, you know, just learning from history. So good editorial investigative um, objective journalism is crucial towards the health of society and towards maintaining a democracy. Right. So again, it boils down to the skills of the journalists and the younger and upcoming um, journals. You know, it's um, the the way now we use the the data or you know the evaluation of the uh, coverage um, online and throughout print is different. So what we now value. Um, as opposed to 10 years ago when we would have said, is it front page news? Is it right. politics or main economy? Um, is it the first article on this paper? Is right. it um, who's the main protagonist? Now it's changed if we start building the dashboards to see, well, what was the top engaged story? Or do we have uh, the ability to create impressions um, in terms of an actual following? You know, Am I squeaking? on a media outlet that has zero followers or interest or awareness. So the, the journalists and our old school media, right. the, the, the real investigative, you know, professional, uh, transparent, objective journalism, has now more than ever been called to take leadership on the other platforms that are still young. They are still the new kids on the block. We are still developing a healthy way of building news online, but there still needs to be that backbone. So it's almost like the, it's the, it's the, ske the skeleton, the skeleton yeah, of skeleton. the body. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's not a skeleton. <laughs> That's a good We're not way. there yet. That's a wonderful way of putting it. So I hope our listeners like what they're hearing so far. Uh, make sure you never miss one of our podcasts and subscribe to them on SoundCloud or iTunes. Now back to the discussion. Um, Natasha, some may argue, despite social media often being an outlet, if you like, for poison and vitriol, disinformation and hate speech, and the tendency just to be clickbait, because let's face it, people's attention spans have also got shorter. It's also potentially a very important mechanism for change. And as you briefly pointed out, it, it has given people voice who never had that sort of expression before in the days of old media. Um, and it's been a catalyst for social me uh, movements, even here on our local NAM Twitter, as it's called, such as calls to legalize abortion, the societal push to do away with statues and symbols of racism, among others. So there is a force for good and a force for change on, on social media. But my question is, how do we capitalize, if you like, on the efforts, on the strengths of both the online and traditional media to coordinate these efforts to strengthen democracy and good governance and draw attention to societal failings. 
Wow, your neighbor. That's a big uh, question, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect anything less. Um, you know, what comes to mind is almost like a business-minded approach to this, is that we need more than ever smart partnerships right. and collaboration. So it's not a me, my organization, and I game anymore, which That's was it. popular in the old school way of communications. Now, corporate speak is dead. Government speak is dead. Right. So now we've got these different movements. You know, you can have a sister in Namibia collaborate with the Shack Dwellers Federation right. with an anti-gender-based violence campaign or the First Lady of Namibia's office. You can have so many partners starting to collaborate. And, and in that same sense, you need to create the space, like we're in a space mm. today, where your preferred media outlets can collaborate with these organizations towards a shared cause. It's just going to have so much more in terms of ripple effects. Right. It's like your various projects we're seeing now where your banks are joining either the Cancer Association or the, the Shack Dwellers or um, your, you know, any cause where you have multi-actors. In the past, it was taboo for right. two corporates to share an event, and now it's encouraged and exactly. celebrated. So I think um, we can definitely have a better online footing because now your team Namibia, uh, team Namibia, sorry, we <laughs> yeah. can tag um, 20 influencers uh, that are passionate about the same cause. Right. And now you can decide where you want the information or what is the purpose of the social media platform. Is right. it just to get more people drawn to the websites, drawn to surveys for more information or... Uh, to get the information out to where it's most needed, your your struggling communities or your voiceless, those that do not yet know they have a voice and they can be empowered. Absolutely. So I think we can diversify the meaning of each valuable partnership on a different media platform. And the value of um, length and depth is still extremely important. You know, you don't get a degree by reading headlines. Absolutely. You have yeah. to understand. It's almost like, that's why I would encourage in terms of media literacy in schools. Right. I think every kid on the block must have a set of philosophy as a background in study because what we struggle is the way that people understand and uh, develop a, a, a concept in their mind is also what determines... Uh, are we already so biased that we do not have the ability to negotiate with each other? Right. Because I am this tribe, you are that tribe, full stop. And similar to um, societal ills, you know, illnesses, mm. we need to have that new, fresh mindset of where you're never the only one that's correct. And that means that you have to take hands of others, even though it makes you feel uncomfortable, even though it demands from you to change. But I think COVID kicked our asses in any case. Right. If we ever thought that we're not going to do a podcast or we're not going to do Absolutely. whatever, yeah. now more than ever we're ready for, for embracing change. And I think, and Natasha, as we head towards the end of this podcast, what you've said I think is, is, is very significant, and that is that it seems like there's a new era of collaboration upon us. And certainly if I look at print media and how deeply divided it was in the past, I mean, we wouldn't greet one another if you were from a different paper and deeply, deeply divided. That now, because also sustainability is such a big thing, especially for traditional media, that people are moving closer together and are less territorial. So I think that's a, a, a very positive thing. 
But just a quick question as to whether you think um, the traditional media, again, print uh, and, and radio and so on, are they, are they keeping tabs of where the youth are at on social media? Do you think they're mirroring, if you like, the agenda of the youth? Or are they tend of still on their same old path and are they in tandem with the youth and, and representing things like um, this campaign for a sexual offenders registry and abortion and so on? How, to what extent is that happening in the traditional media or is it just all happening online? Are they feeling the pulse of ah, the youth? Yes. Um, that's a big question, likely with various answers or angles. I think it would be good to get uh, Deidre Matthias's input on this as well. And in terms of how we represent those segments of the youth, again for me, because that's what I do, communications and dealing with people, it boils down to the people um, that are managing, leading these media houses and to what extent they are open to some of these social issues and have not just over years become so used to, let's not touch this, uh, let's exactly. not wiggle this, uh, let's not shake that. Right. I think we can see that there is an openness to discuss and an openness to host a platform, not necessarily maybe an in-depth editorial um, investigation, but the openness to create a platform where these contentious issues can be discussed. And that, I think, is a win. And that Good. is giving, giving a, a reputable platform for those with opinions that differ from yours to start making your, your youth, your uh, young on the street, any person on the street, an advocate for different opinions. It's almost like right. going back to school and setting the class, uh, dividing the class and saying, well, you debate it from this side, even though you agree or disagree and you debate. But it's like installing again a, a sort of a new value and a new culture of exploration in the readership, um, in the Namibians, to partake and to ask a question. I think for very long, we have all just like, I don't want to call us something bad, but we've just like mad our way through the media, and we did it. We chose not. We chose to be arbitrary. We chose not to have an opinion, um, and now we, you know, our children are already showing at a much earlier age They're than we did. <laughs> yes, that ask questions, and sometimes you know, you, we have to get so used to. But I love it. It's it's liberating. You meet um, eighteen or twenty one or twenty six year old. And the way that they ask questions comes from almost like a little bit of wisdom because you're not scared to call it what it is and you're not scared to be liberal, you know. Conservatism is sort of chucking out of the door, which is lovely. It's also interesting that you're sounding so positive, which is really great. But as we come to the last question, Natasha, you did mention to me before the need for media to be relevant to the people. First with facts, I think you put it this way, then with the purpose of shaping opinions and interpreting the bigger context. I'd probably add to that the importance of speaking truth to power, literally the critical watchdog role of media, whether they're online or offline. So maybe the last question is, are some media houses and journalists still getting it right, or is all the power now with social media? Can we, with this collaboration, new collaboration you speak of, can we get out there with a united progressive voice to bring about change. Is that possible? 
Absolutely possible. Um, I think just the responsibility lies with those that's doing a good job, that's doing it right, that's advocating for pure, honest, hardworking, professional journalism to take the hands of those that's maybe just chasing after a quick story or the clickbait or um, that's not substantiating or that's being unethical. They are, like with government, you've got great leaders, hardworking, and you've got those that just want the paycheck and, right. and then to Zula on my, on my farm over the weekends. Um, and in business, you've got employees that want to show up and bring change and believe in the mandate of the organization. But those that are on social media just saying, oh, how I hate my boss. Exactly. <laughs> so I think if we have those parents of good journalism, um, and like I edit this forum as well, guiding this agenda and being seen. You know, we see it now in our media content analysis right. that more than ever now with this call for sustainability management, right. our CEOs, our senior leadership, those whose reputation is about 70% linked to that of the brand they work with, is called to be visible. Right. And you're no longer stuck in that rut of, oh, no, I'm just a CEO, I'm just a CEO, I, I don't Stay do public speaking. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now the okay. curtains have been lifted. So right. same with the journalists. You know, we're not, the, we're not these lazy oaks with just pocket notes. Just a name in the paper. Uh, yeah, yes. and uh, just yeah. like to eat free snacks everywhere. We're not, <laughs> we're not those people. Um, but now to be seen as a professional in your industry is highly valued. And that's how you will build... Um, the, the reputation of the stories that you're telling and for the change to bring. I think we just really need to up our game right. on talking about these sticky issues, gender-based violence, yeah, totally. racism, tribalism. Um, you know, there's so many horrible things, gender mutilization. Yeah. These issues are grossly unrepresented on the public agenda. Why? because we're not open enough to talk about something that's not affecting yourself immediately. Right. So if we're not having these honest conversations and broadcasting live that here are literally children sitting hungry, they cannot go to school, here is little uh, Topewa walking to school. She's seven years old. She doesn't have shoes. You know, if we're not creating a reality of our actual reality, then we're just BSing ourselves and our um, discourse, our pollution of um, a public agenda that we think is conducive to growth. Because somewhere we've missed that plot in any case. Yeah. We've missed the plot of what do we need to talk about to really change and really implement. And as you say, I think in summary that um, to move from sort of those subjects that are populist um, and often superficial and to really move into those deeper societal issues that could be our biggest challenge to come. But I can't think of a better way to, to end the podcast with what you've just said, Natasha. So thank you so much for joining us today and hopefully we can continue this conversation thank at another you. time. We're not finished yet. I loved it. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.